Blog Talk Radio. Suddenly back in 1968, and with me on the line is Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray, how Hello, are you? David. How are you? Okay, and uh, we're uh, quarantining with uh, 
some good memories. And today on uh, Dr. Ray's Rock and Retro Revival and Reunion, I don't know if I got all the R's in there, Ray, but a lot of alliteration. <laughs> yeah, it's a good show. And we're going to uh, go back to 1968. And there's a lot to talk about, and we're going to have some fun and relive some memories. And um, we got some more music to play for you. But uh, that song um, it, it became a favorite of mine a few years ago, Ray, when uh, I heard it uh, really for the first time. Uh, uh, Aretha Franklin uh, uh that was a cover version of Dionne Warwick's song. Dionne Warwick got the hit in 1967. But as uh, some people have said, well, who, what version would you have played at your wedding or, or, or your celebration? Aretha just did so much to put emphasis and soul and, and a, a, a steady beat into it. She was amazing. And, uh, Ray, what 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 do you think of uh, that song? The original version was the year before, I think I said, 1967, Dionne Warwick. I remember tune. well. I was I was 18 years old. A lot of associated memories. Uh, I had a partner at the time. We'd been together since 11th grade. I just polished off my freshman year of college, and uh, uh, a lot of love went into that song for the two of us. So I would have had the original one, but uh, it's a purist kind of thing. I really like the cover, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. A little research I did found that um, Aretha was originally offered the song by the writers, uh, Hal David and Burt Bacharach, and she turned it down. But uh, after she heard um, Dionne Warwick's version, she decided that she needed her own version. And... um, and that was it. And it's just a wonderful version. And uh, sadly, we lost Aretha a few years ago now. But, um, Ray, 1968, a lot was happening. Um, just skipping through randomly, uh, do you remember the USS Pueblo, Ray? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, that was January of that year, and uh, it was a kind of a chilling sight uh, because North Korea seized a, a U.S. Uh, naval ship, the Pueblo, uh, claiming the ship had violated its territorial waters while spying, and these grainy, terrible images out of North Korea. They arrested the uh, the, the crew and the captain, and they were held hostage uh, for a long time. I I think it was most of the year they were held hostage. And and so we still have North Korea on our minds. Um, So, uh, Ray, for me, 1968 is Vietnam, the Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King assassination. But um, it's, it's a lot of stuff. What do you, what are your thoughts of, 1968. Well, you know, I graduated from high school in 1966, graduated from college in 70, 
And some books have been written about that period of time because it's thought to be the the greatest period of change that any four-year student ever went through because, you know, there were, there were students in our college class who actually were still wearing jazz sport jackets, uh, not every day, but occasionally uh, to a meeting. And by 68, the midpoint, I mean, I had hair down on my shoulders. <laughs> we were wearing shorts and it was, it was a world war two was finally behind us The leave it to beaver donna reed show uh, you know family that was so unrealistic had been put behind us and boy uh i i didn't you know get into the the drug culture but and my partner you know never stopped smoking marijuana or as it was called then grass which upsets uh one of our homo radio uh oh. People showing so much because but that it was not uh, weed it was it was grass and that was a big deal and drugs were everywhere and nothing was illegal at that point LSD was only um, well that isn't totally true uh, LSD was finally um, you know officially illegal in late 1966 and Dragnet did a a story on that Dragnet part you know the second run. Um, there was oh, a period yeah. of change. I, I was going to mention that Jack Jack Webb was was certainly anti-drug. Uh, oh yeah, he, he was he was certainly on the on the the conservative side in preaching um, um, a hard right message of no marijuana, no. And and ironically, in one of the episodes, they, uh, somebody says, you know, off. Uh, uh, detective or sergeant, um, pretty soon marijuana is going to be on your grocery shelves and it's going to be taxed. And, <laughs> and 50 <laughs> years later, <laughs> I think Jack Webb would uh, would be turning over in his grave today. Oh, but, my God, um, yeah. The drugs yeah. and uh, the problem with drugs just permeated that series, which you recently become a fan of. And you know the first – Oh, yeah. Uh, the pilot episode was called Blue Boy, where eventually the uh, the protagonist, um, you know, actually dies of a drug overdose at the end. It's a very powerful, very successful show from 67 to 70, but extremely right-wing. I mean, some nasty comments about the LGBTQ plus or homosexual culture, as it was then called. Yeah. And, um, and of course, we had... Uh, Lyndon Johnson in the presidency, and um, I just have to uh, bring out that uh, uh, it's the last Sunday in March, Sunday night, and uh, we had just somehow taken delivery of our first color TV, my family and I in in our house in Yonkers, and um, we were... um, (laughs) Lyndon Johnson was giving the speech, and we decided, no, we want to move the TV. We don't want it in the front. We want it in the back room. So, <laughs> so, so we did this. And by the time we made the switch, Johnson had decided that he w- or he had made the announcement he was not going to run for reelection. And we're sitting there, and we were all politically charged and. And and wanting to know what did he say? Oh my God, you don't know <laughs> <That's> because <great. laughs> 
I mean, an event right. that that changed the, the 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 world, or at least at least the short term world. I mean, Johnson, the president's never uh, 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 leaves uh, office voluntarily, but he did, and he made that announcement, <laughs> and um, and all political hell broke loose after that. But uh, he was. Uh, Johnson was just caught up in Vietnam. It was just, uh, I mean, for someone who was uh, my age, 11 at the time, the news was just dreadful every week. The the they would uh, Walter Cronkite would give the 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 deaths, the soldiers, the number of soldier deaths for the for the preceding or current week, and it just seemed to go up and up and up all the time. Um, seems like one figure I remember is 500 um, deaths in a, in a week. And um, so Johnson was, they had had the Tet Offensive, which gave a real boost to North Vietnam. And uh, it was a dreadful time. And just on a personal note, um, I suffered, well, we learned in, in my um, seventh grade class that one of our students, his his brother, had been uh, killed in Vietnam. I always remember Patrick Mitchell and and his uh, his brother, whose name I, I never got, but it was just so sad. And uh, we were uh, just shocked that this could touch us so closely. And um, so... Uh, Ray, any any thoughts on, uh, on well, the uh, speech? Definitely a couple of things from uh, Theodore H. White's book, "The Making of the President," 1968. Uh, Lyndon Johnson actually had two endings to that speech, and boy, you could never keep a secret like that in today's 24-hour uh, uh, news cycle. But he, uh, you know, he talked to Lady Bird just before, and. He could have decided at the last minute that he was going to run, but he finished it up and, uh, you know, his two daughters came in after the cameras were off and they were crying and he sat down and had my favorite dessert, whipped, or excuse me, chocolate pudding with whipped cream. And uh, it oh. said he hadn't looked that relaxed in, in several years. Um, but yeah, this whole wow. Eugene McCarthy start, I mean, the fact that he nearly defeated the seated president was like, we couldn't believe it. And it tar- triggered my going uh, out to, to campaign vigorously for Bobby Kennedy. Um, so it was a huge part of my life. And I was, I was uh, 19. I hadn't turned 20 yet. I turned 20 that August. So I was at that perfect age and we were, we were hippies. We were rebels. I mean, uh, in some ways it was a very exciting time, but uh, you were, so we were having our, our, a production meeting last night and um, you, you were saying, you know, there were also scary times because the word imploding and, and the year that uh, there's a book out, the year that America almost imploded. Um, I can't think of the author at the moment, but uh, it's hardly the only one. It was a, it was a scary time for a lot of people because it was very unsettling for the world war veterans who had settled into their homes. And, um, you know, it, it was, a car in the garage if you were lucky, a ranch house, two-point-whatever kids, and, boy, the guys came back from 
World War II ready to go. They wanted their families. And they, for a while, they were clicking right along. And all of a sudden, 68 hit. Everything changed, David. Everything. Mm, yeah. Well, it's... Um, Ray, I want to uh, move on to our second song here because we have a uh, another long one at the end. But I want to make sure to get them in in our countdown. And uh, this is uh, not a Billboard countdown, but this is a... a uh, Dr. Ray and Dave's countdown. We were picking the songs we liked, <laughs> and and they just happened to fall in this order. Um, but the um, just to lead up to this song, uh, the reason I chose it is um, uh, what, uh, when I was listening to the American Gold show, the Dick Bartley show, um, uh, he would play uh, uh, occasionally. Uh, uh, he would focus on June of 1968, and uh, one of the songs he played was what we have here, uh, "Israelites" by Desmond Decker, and it—I just associated it with with June, which is usually a, a wonderful month. But by June, we had lost Martin Luther King in April, and then just unbelievably. Bobby Kennedy, who had uh, spoken so eloquently and movingly after uh, Martin Luther King was shot, um, Kennedy himself was was gunned down, and he was gone. And um, boy, the world spun again. So uh, let's play the song and come back on the other side and, and uh, talk a little more about it and and what it what it meant and the time of uh, around uh, June of 1968. So here is Desmond Decker with Israelites. Get up in the morning slaving for bread, sir, so that every mouth can be fed.
Well, Ray, that is uh, a favorite of mine, but uh, it, it it was uh, the, just a few notes on it. Uh, it was uh, the best-known Jamaican reggae hit to reach the United States Top 100, still is, and uh, was written um, uh, uh, by Desmond Decker, and um, uh, and it was composed after... He overheard an argument. I was walking in the park, eating popcorn. I heard a couple arguing about money. She was saying she needs money, and he was saying the work he was doing was not giving him enough. I related those things, and he wrote, you get up in the morning, and you're slaving for bread. By the time I got home, it was complete. Um, And uh, it was uh, the title Israelites, most people think it it, it was uh, connected to uh, the Rastafarian Movement's association with the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, uh, Rastafarians were marginalized as a cultish organization, as a cultish group, and um, even ostracized from uh, larger society in Jamaica. Uh, destitute, uh, the line was slaving for bread in the song, unkempt, shirt, them a tear up, trousers is gone. Some Rastafarians were tempted to a life of crime, um, reflected in the lyric, I don't want to end up like Bonnie and Clyde. So the song is a lament of this condition. So I, I just find it a very interesting song. I don't remember hearing it on the radio very much. But um, um, so, Ray, let's talk about um, the Martin Luther King assassination and and uh, Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, that was, it, obviously devastating events and um, the rioting that took place. Um, you know, it was just, uh, it just sort of tore our cities apart, among other things. Well, things were definitely unraveling. Uh, the whole Kennedy contingent begged Bobby Kennedy not to go out and speak that night. The audience, you know, unlike today with cell phones and uh, such, they they didn't know what had happened. No one in the crowd did. And Bobby took to the stage because he was speaking to the same to the audience that night, and he made the announcement. And his uh, closest cohorts believed that. You know, they were going to rush the stage, that there would be a riot right there. And despite all that happened in the rest of the country after, you know, the word was out of Martin Luther King's assassination, um, Bobby was able to talk to those people. And he said, I lost a brother, too. And it's a real ter- tear-jerking moment. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, it. It meant so much to them that he got up there and said it, that he made the announcement. But, yeah, after that, I, I can remember watching – you know, a relatively new color TV set because that was a major investment at the time, as you knew. Uh, And, you know, getting a color TV was almost like buying a car. I'm overstating it a little bit, but everybody didn't have one. And watching that that color TV set and seeing just this nonstop violence, breaking windows, smashing car windshields, I mean, there was no limit to it. Tipping over cars, setting them on fire. Um, and, it, you know, it was the long, hot summer and uh, that followed. And you just wondered, is this ever going to stop? 
And what are they gaining out of that? You know, you're going after other people's property. As an as a 19-year-old, I, I was having trouble sorting it out. It didn't make a lot of sense to me what they were doing because it didn't what they were doing didn't seem to fit what it to make their making their point. It only riled people up more. But that was part of the rebellious generation. And uh, and you were what 11 yeah. at that time? 11? Yeah. 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 So I, I well, was I, the just just the I'm sorry. I was in the, you know, right. I wasn't on there breaking things and uh, rioting, but I, I was certainly watching it and, you know, watching it at college and in the student union and wondering what the hell was going on. Is your country going to survive this? Yeah. Well, I uh, just to in- inject a, a note on sports, uh, <laughs> but it is it is a larger uh, paints a larger picture. The baseball champions that year. Uh, the World Series champions were the Detroit Tigers, and um, some people say it, it 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 may have saved the city of Detroit because they could they they were closely watching the team it was uh, exciting uh, the, the the games they won and um, it was sort of uh, a metaphor for um, you know a team that could. Um, really get the attention of of a lot of people, and um, and it was a you know the the, the city um, got through it. You know, I remember the World Series, and they had Jose Feliciano come out and uh, sing. You probably remember Ray, the very controversial, unusual rendition of the of the national of the uh, Star Spangled Banner. But um, it was our cities were were in bad shape. And um, the, the the rioting, I remember, was, I mean, we had had rioting the year before, the summer of 67. Um, but this this year was just an overwhelming amount of bad news. And um, um, and yet we, uh, we did and we didn't get through it. But I, I want to go on right to our last song to make sure we get it in because it's, it's a it's a doozy as as we had last week with um uh our other song American Pie. Uh this is uh MacArthur Park and I wanna play it, come back on the other side and we'll talk about it. It's it is a it's one of the top songs of the year by Richard Harris, the actor of all things, but also a singer, most people didn't know. And it was written by Jimmy Webb, uh, a very, very uh, interesting, prolific uh, composer of songs like Galveston, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, um, and um, uh, other other songs like that, popular songs. Uh, I'll have a few more, I think, when we come back. But this is MacArthur Park, and and if you need to take a bathroom break, it's... It's this is the time. It's it's a long one, but a very interesting song. And um, here we go. Never waking for us girls. It 
ran one step ahead as we followed in the dance. Between the parted pages and were pressed in rough fevered iron like a striped pair of pants. This path is melting in the dark All the sweet green icing flowing down Someone left a cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have that recipe again Oh no Recall the yellow cotton dress Foaming like a wave On the ground around your knees The birds like tender babies in your hands And the old men playing checkers By the trees This park is melting in the dark All the sweet green ice flowing down Someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have the recipe again I will win the worship 
Thunder is close to a, a very interesting song, Ray. And a couple of years ago, David Letterman um, devoted an entire show to this song. He was so intrigued by it. And it's been covered several times by Sinatra, uh, of course, the famous disco version by Donna Summer, and um, I believe even Tony Bennett took a crack at it. But that was the original. And really, um, I, w- I wanted to understand because I'm usually very confused by lyrics of songs. Um, but this is about a love, a lost love. Uh, and and, and, and um, Jamie Webb says it was a, a, one of his first uh, 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 relationships, and it mostly took place in and around uh, a, an area called MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. And he would meet this girl for lunch, and they would... Uh, sort of uh, date there and they broke up, she broke up and she married an insurance salesman and they had the wedding at MacArthur Park and Jimmy Webb uh, snuck in the back and and watched all this go down. The cake, it did rain. There was a wedding cake and it was melting, it seemed, (laughs) from where he was. And all of the the imagery is, uh, um, you know, uh, sort of it seems uh, uh, sort of far away, but um, it's it, Webb describes it as an abstract painting, uh, an impressionist painting, um, but uh, it was, uh, you know, the uh, uh, just very very. Uh, Lush and several songs in one, and when Letterman did it, he uh, um, uh, he he had a he brought in an orchestra, a, a symphonic orchestra, to play along to the song, and they rehearsed for months, and um, it was called MacArthur Park Night, and Letterman even had a big cake with uh, sweet green icing that the singer got up, uh, climbed on top. And 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 finish the song. So um, uh, and and Jimmy Webb, by the way, also he wrote a lot for Glenn Campbell, um, uh, uh, Wichita Lineman, I think, as I said. By the time I get to Phoenix, um, and he also did Up, Up and Away for the Fifth Dimension, and um, uh, it's just a, a prolific songwriter, still writing, and. So Ray, um, I want to I, I want to kind of segue, but do you have any any thoughts on MacArthur Park and um, 
it was it was a mystery back then to me. Was it to you? It was to me and my college uh, roommate and friends at that time. You know, we would gather around in the late into the evening talking about anything and everything, and those lyrics were on the table for, you know, discussion. But we never put it all together like you're – I only heard that interpretation uh, recently when you gave it to me. I, I was not a Letterman fan, so I, I didn't hear that. But it, it yeah. all makes sense. So after about 40 years, I, I have things in the right place. <laughs> yeah. So, Ray, this is uh, uh, Dr. Ray's retro uh, radio reunion and, and revival and, and – uh, I, I think I have a mental block against getting all the R's in there. But part of all of this, of course, is cars. And we want to – what was the car of the year, and what, what were people driving, Ray, in 1968? Well, this is 68. The Mustang, of course, debuted in 64. Um, they were registered at 65. But the answer to your question is very, very easy. Uh, the, the Corvette was the car of the year. It was fraught wow. with electrical problems and uh, the kind of things that American cars would later have in, in, in huge numbers. But uh, the traditional Stingray style was changed to something called the Mako Shark. And anyone out there who knows about cars will recognize this line of demarcation because the 67 was so entirely different than, than the 68. It had a sharp appearance to it, and uh, it, it was a thrill. It really was. Well, the the the, Cor- the Corvette is is kind of uh, uh, American royalty, isn't it? I mean, it's still uh, uh, a, a a prized uh, possession to this day. Is that right? It it is. It's interesting that you pose that question now because the the brand new 2020 uh, Corvette is out. It's slowly being um, you know, rolled out, and it's entirely different. It's a mid-engine vehicle, and it's just uh, the purists are having a real issue with with it because it doesn't look like a Corvette. It looks like a Ferrari, which I think it kind of was meant to. Uh, so it's one of those things that evolved. Uh, like the Mustang now has the uh, very quickly has the um, electric uh, the electric car, and the purists are not buying that at all because I want the the roar and the rumble of that engine, like I do. So the oh, time how many uh, was this a V8 engine or a V uh, on the Corvette? The, the Corvette was a 429, and that was a enormous engine for its time. I mean, you really had to know what you you uh, were handling. I I remember several people I knew, not tangentially, that perished in those vehicles because you know you just didn't hop into the car and put the pedals in the metal. You had to know what you were doing. And um, yeah, I practically was brought up at Lebanon, Lebanon Valley Speedway, so I learned a lot about that. But yeah, car. To go back to the heart of your question, it, Corvette was 1968, Mako Shark style. Yeah, and I, I, I first, uh, well, when I was watching Cheers, uh, off and on in the 80s and and later in reruns, uh, uh, I, I. I well noted uh, uh, the main character uh, played by well Sam Malone, played by uh, oh my God what's the the name of the uh, it was um, well he's all over the place now but he's 
he was the main character on Cheers, and his car was a Corvette, and it was he lived and died for it. It was uh, the vet, you know, and 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 he treated it like uh, uh, gold, and uh, you, you know, um, one time was broke and had to sell it, and you thought he was going to have uh, cardiac arrest on the show because he had to part with his vet, but um, so. Ray, this is only part one of our 1968 retrospective and revival and reunion, and we'll be back next week with uh, part two. Such a, a rich uh, year. We've really only gone up to uh, June with events that have happened, and um, so this, uh, I hope folks are enjoying this. Please buy a book. Support a thousand moms. We're, we're struggling like everyone else in these times, uh, but we write uh, books uh, on health and the brain and stress, how to reduce your stress, and go to www.1000moms.org or www.healingthebrainbooks.com, and both links are in our description on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, I hope everybody stays Stay safe, and and we get through this unending craziness. And um, Ray, I hope. Uh, I mean, it really just there's no end in sight, and um, it's surreal. So we hope it's, a, it's an episode of the Twilight Zone. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed this, and we will be back with you next week and we'll go out with a little Aretha Franklin. Thanks, Ray. Take care, David. <laughs>